podcast with your host, Tim Wilshere. Welcome to... Yeah, welcome to From the Valley podcast. I have... Uh, uh, it's been a long week, I'll tell you that. So I'll uh, just go through a bit of a recap on a few things that have sort of been happening lately. Uh, just, uh, yeah, as you probably know... Um, Lime scooters, um, you probably, we've probably seen a lot of them around the streets at the moment here in Brisbane. Um, they've now been extended, uh, the council's extended the uh, trial now to the end of June uh, 2019, so another four months at least. Uh, we've got a f- couple of new admin staff here at CTBS. Um, just heard uh, mixed martial arts news, um, obviously it was disappointing Kane Velasquez's comeback, um, lasted 26 seconds. Uh, before he sort of blew his knee out, um, so 30 months off, and that's what that's what happens. Um, Hilltop Woods released their album, first one in five years today. Very good album. Go ahead and listen to it. Do yourself a favour. Uh, GSP retired, so that's Georgia St Pierre, one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. Uh, and as you know, two uh, people that have been on the podcast, uh, Ben Ten Win and Damien Beatdown Brown, are both fighting in Japan on Easter Sunday. Um, on the 21st of April under the promotion Ryzen and I'm sort of looking at uh, booking flights at the moment. Uh, the guest I have today is uh, Steve Cook from Signs Australia. Uh, welcome along Steve. Thanks very much Tim, it's a pleasure to be here mate. Excellent, so Steve it's been a little while since the story, what have you been up to the last couple of months mate? What, what's been happening since uh, uh, Christmas and so well, forth? Well it's been full on Tim, I've, um, work's been, uh, been pretty busy, I'm working <coughs> far and wide. Uh, at the moment I've got um, uh, half a dozen big channel letters and a big logo in the in the back of the ute and that's often on its way to Port Moresby. Excellent. So, so it's a um, yeah, big uh, high-rise sign and uh, good news is I'm not putting it up. So then um, it's for a company called Wago, if that's the way you pronounce it, and they're a freight forwarding company in all over the world, I think. So yeah, pretty good. So certainly keeping busy, no doubt. Keeping yeah, busy, no yeah, doubt. Really busy. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, always been busy. I think it's because I've been doing what I do for a, a long time and um, got you know thirty plus years experience. Yeah. So uh, 30, 30 plus years experience in the sign game. Um, so tell us a bit about, I guess, early early beginnings I guess uh, Steve and that's what we sort of usually do with our guests here on the podcast where were you born and whereabouts did you uh, brought up at your early childhood well um, getting on a bit now Tim because the hospital I was born in has been flattened so that was the uh, Royal Children's uh, Hospital in um, Swanson Street in Melbourne I don't even know what it is now it's probably a block of apartments or something so yeah Born there, and then um, first few years in suburban Melbourne, and then 1964, my uh, my old man moved down to a small town called Crip Point on the Mornington Peninsula, and back then it was the start of um, construction of the BP refinery and the SO refinery uh, for uh, all the oil coming in from Bass Strait. Back then, it's not coming from Bass Strait anymore, but yeah, so that's sort of where I grew up great place to grow up as a little fishing village and it was one of those places where you just make your own fun <coughs> and uh what, did you have any brothers or sisters yeah um i'm the oldest uh there's my brother 
Slim, or Russell's his real name, but we all know him as Slim. So he's um, about 18 months younger than me, and then uh, my sister Amanda, she's about uh, five years younger. So yeah, no, it was good, um, good place to grow up because uh, it was um, a bit of a challenge trying to get find a girlfriend though, because <laughs> Crib Point is also the home of the HMO Cerberus, which is a naval training base. So. Yeah, interestingly <laughs> enough, um, my middle brother uh, Nick, uh, who's who at the time would have been 15 or 16, um, didn't f- didn't sort of didn't get to year 11, uh, but. As he sort of got to year ten, he realised you know further education and further further schooling wasn't for him. So he ended up uh, joining the navy, yeah. or going to the navy and having the the pass out uh, period. And uh, HMAS Cerberus was uh, where he was posted at such a young age. You know, a couple of years out from being an adult. So yeah, I know exactly. I yeah, remember. that's where it was. Yeah, so there was probably around about <clears throat> I don't know maybe between fifteen and twenty single young girls in Crib Point and uh, about uh, four and a half thousand sailors so the competition was a bit tough you might say back then but anyway we've all moved on it's all uh, yeah and I was only there last week actually went down and saw the family and so a lot of the family is still in the area yeah or? they're all down there I'm the only one that escaped back I don't know, 30 years ago now I left uh, yeah the freezing cold winters and yeah. yep it's a good enough reason sense. to move, I guess. Yeah, that's right. When you get uh, inconsistent weather in, uh, yeah. in Victoria. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, yeah, so what, did you get up to any sort of uh, sporting activities as a child, anything that you sort of got into? Yeah, yeah, fair bit. I was uh, growing up on the water. My old man had um, charter fishing and hire boats and all that sort of thing, so I was always fishing. Always. But that wasn't much fun. Even in the winter, it was just, you know too cold but summer was always pretty good and we had uh, <clears throat> we were down there last uh, last Wednesday I was there it was um, the, actually the 10th anniversary of the passing of uh, Ron which was yeah so 10 years ago on uh, the Ash Black Saturday weekend and we were all sitting around at the local boat ramp and my old man built that boat ramp back in uh, I think it was 1972 and he <coughs> he's just, he was on the local committee and then decided to put a boat ramp in. But the uh, local Ports and Harbours government wouldn't let him do it because they reckoned it was going to sealed up. So he went ahead and do it, did it anyway. And today it's a four ramp boat ramp. Probably sees about 500 boats over a weekend. And uh, I did a plaque up for him. So we went down and um, had a couple of beers and read the plaque. And that was good. Yeah, so... Yeah, it's all changed now, though. There's no fishing boats anymore. They're all gone. You know, the government or privatisation has just taken over the whole port area, so it's mm. lost its appeal a bit, but it's still nice to get in there and have a look. Mm. So, roughly, did you were you did you move to Brisbane about the time of the expo? Or? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, about a year before, I um, I moved up to, um, to Brisbane. My first job was working for a sign company on um, down at Beanley, and... They introduced me to a few people down the coast, so it was good party days. Feeling me first uh, Sunday before work was a getting on a charter boat and going up to Tiplers. So your first day at work was a bit shaky, but anyway, it was good fun. Yeah. So then um, these guys got the contract to do the murals for World Expo, and there was about <coughs> oh, 15 of us, and I was 
in charge. So um, it took uh, nearly six months. We did all the murals underneath all the railway bridges back then. So we were doing the work, but unfortunately we were at the bottom of the line, so we didn't get any of the money. But it was still a great experience, especially in coming up to the opening of the expo and it just uh, pissed down rain for about four weeks straight and nothing could get done. So the pressure was on when, when the rain stopped, but yeah, good fun. Excellent. So, um, yeah, Brisbane, you, you would have seen it sort of uh, change quite a lot since you've been here. It's still, I had a ch chat with a few people today and it's just it's amazing what sort of changes are just happening all the time. Um, you see a lot of different projects happening and lots of roadworks and lots of construction. Yeah, um, that's right, Tim. I, I remember I was living in a um, oh, sort of a shared Queenslander over at Highgate Hill and I've got old photos of the skyline and it's just not like that anymore everything's just uh shrunken well the old buildings are gone a lot of them but yeah if it wasn't for the story bridge you probably wouldn't know where you were now today but yeah no it's a lot of lot of changes and because we're all dealing with the traffic so hopefully they'll get that sorted out so yeah no i've been um seen a lot in uh in brisbane but it wasn't long after expo had finished is when I sort of decided to take my talents to the country as such. So teamed up with a couple of blokes and we went out sign riding in Western Queensland. Did that for a did it for a month. We didn't even. I mean, you've been, you, you've told the story before where you sort of done a lot of outback um, work around Queensland and really just gone out to towns and yeah and sort of uh, really changed them around and uh, you know turned them into something that. Uh, yeah, that's right. When you right. go in and out, yeah, you, yeah, there's quite, was, a bit, um, quite a um, difference that, would, you know, that you've made. So what are some of those towns that you sort of, the, the western towns that stick out the most? Oh, I think they'd have to be the main one is, uh, is a little place called Mungandive, which is on the border of Queensland and uh, New South Wales. It's just south of um, St George. Mm. And, um, yeah, so we were working, uh, actually working in Moree, and we had a... We had a decent job to do out at Quilpie, so it's a bit of a drive, and we decided, we left Moree early in the morning and we, on our way to Quilpie, and we stopped in at Mungandai to get a pie, and um, I just happened to notice that there was a brand new building that had just been, uh, just been built and looked like the shop was ready for business, so I thought I'll just go over and find the owner, and turns out the owner's name was Margaret Harrison. And Margaret's husband, I can't think of his name now, but he was Mr. Mungandai. <clears throat> he had the biggest properties and all the earth movement equipment. And this little, or new shop, was Margaret's little hobby. And she wanted to make, turn it into a gift store. So I said to Margaret, why don't we make it look like it lives in Queen Street? And she was happy with that. So we did a fantastic job. Really different for country towns got everyone talking and then um, I think it was 10 days or 12 days later later we um, we painted every every business in the town including the golf club <coughs> and the last day was we ended up doing the pub he said oh you're not going to do that not going to do any signage on the pub oh, it's good enough but by the time we left we'd already done we'd done the pub as well so and uh, yeah it was good um, good times good money we made a bit of money so 
we went down to cash the checks and uh, the first time I ever heard the bloke in the Westpac bank said, sorry mate, we can't pay you, we don't have enough. And I said, well, why is that? He said, oh, well, if we pay you, we can't pay all the shearers. I said, oh, well, you just show us the colour and I'll put it back in your bank. He said, all right, fair enough. So it's a bit of a first, I think, <laughs> since that's ever happened. Yeah. And, then, uh, yeah, yeah. and then we just moved on from town to town. Yeah, so you at that stage, uh, how many years ago was that? That was. Um, oh, that would have been back in, um, yeah, probably 19, 1989, that would have been. So just after, yeah. Yeah, the just Expo. after Expo, yeah. And at that stage, you'd sort of, your own business, you'd sort of got, you'd sort of uh, gone your own way completely, you hadn't, so you're not working yeah, for anybody that's else. It. Yeah, 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 it was, I suppose, not that I knew it back then, but it was pretty good business model because I just went to where there weren't any other sign riders <clears throat> and some of the towns like Mungandai for example there hadn't been a sign rider travelled through there in 20 years so mm. and uh, times are good in the bush back then there was um, it was just before the crash of all the wool and everything so the local townsfolk were doing well they had a bit of money to spend and and they were pleased to see us and I suppose the best thing of all is they all became friends so it was uh, and still are today after all those years so, yeah that's yeah. that's really good that's i mean it's it's good to hear that sort of story and you i know you've told that um to a, to some of the networking groups before and it's um certainly uh, really good at, at such a young age to get involved in um those types of projects and stuff like that and obviously so where did I guess did your business move from there? I guess in the early nineties. What what's where did you sort of uh, where were you working sort of? Because you went over lots of different parts of Australia, didn't you? Sort yeah, of. that's right. Yeah, I think um, the early nineties. Um, well, I made a fair bit of money out of that. Then I uh, decided to have a bit of a holiday, so I did a um, I did an overland with Top Tech Travel from Kathmandu to London, and. Um, I was going to paid for eight weeks, but one of the double-decker buses hit a bridge or a tree on the way back, so I got on another bus for 13 weeks, which included travelling through Egypt, all for the same price. So that was a pretty good Christmas present. Then, then from there, I um, just took me brushes and spent nearly two years travelling around the world. Did some sign writing in uh, all over the place. Did a bit in Europe. Worked in London for a while. Wow, so internationally travelled sign Yeah, that's it, yeah. Um, what's the most uh, interesting international location you'd sort of done in the 90s then, when you were sort of getting... Oh, it would have to be um, uh, in Jordan. I was... Um, Which is that, the northern part of Africa? or? <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, it's sort of next door to Israel. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, so I wasn't feeling too flash because the rest of the tour... Um, the top deck guys went over to Israel and had to stay back for a few days because I was, just wasn't well enough. <coughs> but then on the, I think it was the last day, it was a Sunday and I had nothing to do so I did some, made up a bit of a menu board on the on the back door of the bus and um, it was pretty weird. I just, I was feeling right and I was sitting there signing right away but I, I had a few, um, shall we say, Australian slang into my uh, into the lettering I was putting on the back of the bus and um, I was just sitting on an esky it took me oh, I don't know an hour and a half two hours and I looked to my left and there was a I think it would have been a 19 probably an 89 or 
86 dark blue Hilux. Nothing too out of the ordinary except I looked again to my left and um, there was a couple of Jordanese soldiers in it. Well, at least I think they were. They might have been, I don't think they were Syrian, but yeah. So I looked at them and they looked at me and like they were only about a bit over a metre away from me. And then the Hilux drove forward another, probably another metre, I suppose, and then I, at the corner of my eye, I just turned to the left again, and um, there was a soldier in the back with a submachine gun sitting on, mounted on the back of the truck. So instead of him turning and right looking at me, he's decided to swing around in the chair and pointed the gun straight at me. So that was pretty full on. I just uh, gave him a big smile and yelled out g'day as loud as I could so he knew that I wasn't <laughs> uh, in local or whatever and um, he drove off. But yeah, needless to say the, uh, the hands were shaking a bit after that day but a couple of beers and we're back into it. <laughs> a couple of beers and we're back into it. Um, yeah. So sign writing, how do you think it's sort of changed over the years? What, what do you, where do you see the industry has gone? Is it, and what's different about, you know, when you first started to, you know, 10, 15 years later and now? Uh, it's it's uh, evolved probably four times since I first um, finished my sign writing <coughs> apprenticeship. I think the, um, the main thing was um, in the late 80s, early 90s, the, the computer age came in and then the, they produced the vinyl cutting machine which used to cut out all the sticky letters and which they're still doing it today. And back then the, um, the thing was with the industry is that when I was taught to be a traditional sign writer, we were a bit um, elite because no one else could really do it. We were we were taught a skill and it wasn't an easy skill to be to learn so and then the computers came in and we had we had our own market because we were just traditional sign writers and we go and sign write shop fronts uh, boats planes trucks you name it we just go and get the paint out market out and and start sign writing then the the computers came in and then the, uh, I suppose it would be the first start of what we call the, the backyarders because people could go and buy one of these machines, not have much skill and go into business. So that was the first main one. The thing that saved the creative sign writer, the traditional sign writer, was his skill in doing layout and design. So to give you an example, I'd do a guy's plumbing ute, so Bill's plumbing. Yep. And I charged, back then I probably charged $200 for a couple of doors and then the guy who's got the computer would do a couple of doors for 40 bucks. But the difference was that he'd do Bill's Plumbing and a phone number in vinyl lettering and that's it. If I was doing it, it'd be Bill's Plumbing, phone number and maybe some water running somewhere out of a tap or you know a bit of a pictorial, which made it just look better. You look twice instead of just looking at bit of text on the door, bit of vinyl lettering and so that was the first major change. And then I suppose ten years after that came the wide format uh, graphics, you know, the big wide format printers. And now they've been around a long time now, fifteen plus years. 
and the same things happened again. So we were all skilled in doing, um, you know, we all we all had to get a final cutter to be competitive. And now we've all had to go and buy a white format printer to be competitive. And uh, the yeah, so it, and it just in the next change coming, well, is the white formats change from just printing onto stickers to direct printing straight onto the substrate. So, and now, of course, it's all gone digital. So it'll be another evolution again. Yeah, so, and what about the costs of the equipment over the years? Has that sort of gone up? Was that sort of get, you know, like computers have got cheaper in some areas yeah, and then, yeah, and then they, they stay have, at the same it's, price? Um, it's or like, what are the printing machines doing? Are they sort of getting more expensive or? Yes, technology's, um, it is getting a bit cheaper, but the the latest and greatest techniques of doing signage now is still expensive to purchase. So <clears throat> if you're in business now, just starting out, you want to make sure that you had more clients than you can handle before you purchase one of these machines. Or <laughs> do what I do at the moment is um, just outsource it because there's a lot of people that's uh, supplying directly to the trade mm. and that seems to be the way to go for, you know, just keep your costs down and go from there. Yeah. So um, I guess let's go through some of the challenges, I guess, in running a, a sign writing business um, over the last 30 years. You obviously, you've... Um, you got a, you're obviously fairly well known uh, around Brisbane. You've got um, obviously, a, you know, Signs Australia is well enough known that you get some really good uh, jobs with some high, either high, high profile top clients or, you know, decent jobs, you know, painting, um, you know, working at sort of a, doing a, you know, a big job for like a, a prison, for example, or or something like that. What, what have been the biggest challenges uh, in your business, have you sort of grown to a point where you, you feel like you're uh, too big, or is what, what? Tell me some of the challenges that you've you sort of had. Well, I suppose um, over the years, yeah, I have done some some pretty big jobs. I think um, one of the biggest jobs I did was to name a, um, <clears throat> I think it's a 26 story high rise in Turbot Street. I think it's 269 Turbot Street. And um, that was to put some uh, m pretty big three-dimensional neon signs up on top of the building. Mm -hmm. And to do that, um, we actually had to, with myself and my engineer, we had to re-engineer the curtain wall because it was the frames of the signs that were holding, <coughs> holding the top of the building together. So that was a bit of a challenge. It all went pretty well. It was for... Um, QGC back then just be at the same time they got bought out by British Gas and then um, yeah that was an experience all on its own because they decided to move to another building after we'd already built the signs so the letter in the queue in QGC was uh, 3.6 metres high give you a bit of an idea on how big the signs were Wow. and um, yeah so anyway they decided to Relocate and um, all of the signage went went in the bin. Oh, jeez, really? Yeah, so quite a few. There was a few hundred thousand involved, but the weird thing is now that we had to build new panels because QGC had paid for the panels, and the builder 
was left with um, three holes in his building. So we got another job to build three more panels and they're up there today and it's now the Booper job, the Booper building. Mm. So there you go. Wow. Yeah, so... And you sort of, uh, is staff, getting the right sort of staff, is that always a challenge in your industry? Yeah, it is, yeah. I've uh, had trained plenty of apprentices over the years. I think um, it's like any business that employs staff. <coughs> if they don't have the passion, don't worry about it. That's the, probably the best advice I could give. Is you just want someone who wants to come to work. Usually the money's not that important to them if they really love what they do, and obviously they get paid well for it because that's what they do. They're passionate about it. So that's probably the best thing, you know. So I guess over the 30 years, what's the most number of employees you've had at any one time? Oh, I suppose, I don't know, about not including the contractors, probably about 15, I suppose. That's a fairly, fairly yeah. big size. And where was the, the peak of that, was it? Uh, that was in um, 2008, I suppose. So about 11 years ago. Yeah, about that, yeah. yeah. So it was just before the GFC. And we, we, sort of um, locations, you've always been on the north side, or had your base on the north side yeah, of Brisbane? Yeah, I have, yeah. I've been, um, I suppose, going back, my first big break, I think, was um, being a sign rider in the outback, and that's how Signs Australia got its name, because that's what I used to do, you know, travel around Australia sign riding, and way back then I was lucky enough to register the business name, and um, it's all sort of gone from there, so, but... I think uh, because I was working in mainly Western Queensland that the um, the corporates from Brisbane, like the Courier Mail, the TAB and all the pharmacies, they couldn't get any work done in Western Queensland because there was no one to do it. So I got my first break when I was camped at the Roma Caravan Park and um, a guy called Neville Dredge rang the caravan park and he was the, I suppose, Western... Um, brand manager for the TAB and they said there's any sign riders there and I went and answered I've got the, made the phone and then yeah so I ended up doing a lot of TAB work and then same with the Courier Mail they approached me out there as well and then the word got around and next it was the chemists and yeah so from then and then when I got back to Brisbane on the north side in in the mid-90s, I was living just down the road at Boothby Street. I was there for 10 years. So I built a, a uh, relationship with these guys, and the Courier Mail had done a logo change, and they said, well, you've done all the stuff out out west. Why don't you do some in town as well? And that's mm. when I would give it a kick, yeah. And that's sort of, yeah, how it all started. Yeah, yeah. so it's been, um, been a lot of fun. I've, um, I'm into charity rallies now and uh, I've done four or five rallies all through those small country towns that I uh, did some sign riding back in the 80s and the 90s and I think Bollin which is on the way between mm. St George and Cunnamulla there's still a few of my signs on the building there all those years ago so mm. only because they had a bit of lead in the paint I think mm. so, so, um, so one thing, uh, obviously, you've sort of uh, communicated to us uh, over over recent years is, um, uh, I guess, initially, obviously, the want to franchise, you know, such a good business model that you've built up 
uh, over a long period of time. Um, tell us about the franchising, where, where you've sort of gone with Signs Australia as far as franchising and um, what you hope to achieve in the future and, and uh, who are some of the, if, the, if there's been sort of, um, uh, I guess, any, any sort of successful interest and stories and that sort of thing when it comes to that. Yeah, the franchising has been a um, it's been a dream for uh, ten years. It uh, came into reality ten years ago when I managed to uh, register the name and the logo Signs Australia. So that was the f- first step. Then um, I've just done a search there, so two thousand and eight. Yeah, um, that's it's it. Been up. Yeah, and um, yeah, so we've um, that's sort of when we well when I decided that's what I'll do, but. Uh, the last two years I've um, been building the systems. I was going to, first I was going to pay people to do it for me, but it was way too expensive. I was looking at tens of thousands of dollars and yeah. I thought... Setting know, up a franchise is very expensive, as yeah, you know. Mm. Yeah, so I've done, nearly finished, and I've done all of it myself. I, my first uh, big step was uh, early last year as I took me about four months and I've completed my diploma in franchising so all so you sort of educated yourself uh, yeah on um, how the franchise models work or how the good models work how to um, you know organize your franchisees how to relate to your franchisees and then if it happens how to um, you know get rid of the franchisees that don't do the right thing so so um, is that was that sort of under the direction of the council, or was that as in the franchise council, or was that some? Yeah, other? that's right. Well, I did. Uh, I was pretty lucky back then because I knew that that's what I had to do because I just wasn't educated enough myself to become a franchisor. So that was the first step, and um, didn't really know how involved it was, but it took me. Yeah, I was pretty much full time, so I was just doing just jobs to pay the bills and the rest of the time was just study and anyway I finished it and then I was fortunate enough that the, my trainer was the secretary of the franchise council in Queensland and um, a year before last year invited me to the franchise council Queensland Christmas party and not only did I get to have a few beers but I met some fantastic people there and some great contacts and that's sort of what's uh, kept it forward so Work's got busy. I'm doing some, not only the job in um, Port Moresby at the moment, but I've got uh, some other big jobs for the Queensland government at the mm. moment. I've um, currently been working for the last three or four months for the Department of Education and Training, so they've just keep me really busy and they're now referring me to all the contractors have got anything to do with schools to contact Science Australia to do the signs for the schools. So, so it's an opportunity that I've just got to focus on. So, mm. get that sorted and then move on forward on the franchising. So, I guess uh, just to finish up on a few Science Australia type questions, I guess just so we get, I've got my head out under some of the the structure, I guess behind how you sort of operate. Um, so, obviously, you're the you're the brains behind everything, from what I can see. You're the you know, it's it's your dream. It's it's Signs Australia and Steve Cook are one and the same, really. I mean, that's what yeah, that's, that's what correct. I see at the yeah. moment. Yeah, that's um, great. But do, what do you? What sort of staff do you have on that do that do the admin and the managing? You know, like a business manager and stuff like that. Do you have those types of roles or? 
Yeah, I do. I've um, I've got to been a bit smarter the last couple of years. I've um, I now employ uh, virtual assistants, and um, they're really clever. They uh, they handle all the marketing. They do. They handle the the admin side of stuff that you know that's not um, that I don't have time for basically. And um, they're soon to be taken on uh, project management as well. So. It's, Which um, is what you need in your type of business. That's right, yeah, because um, the bigger stuff, I'll, um, like the government contracts, obviously I'll take charge of those, but the, the smaller jobs, yeah. So, so the VAs, are they based in Australia or are they sort of outsourced to overseas countries? Yeah, or? no, I've outsourced them. Um, most of them, well, all of them at the moment are in Cebu in the Philippines. Yep. And they're, um, at first I was a bit nervous about it with... When, when was the first time you had somebody work for you in that sort of capacity uh, as a VA, sort of, you know, from the Philippines? Or oh, it's probably been uh, twelve months ago now. So it's only twelve months. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just realised that I was um, it's getting a bit much for myself, and I, uh, like any business owner, you never get any time. Yeah. So the way to make sure that I got some time to go take the dog down the beach every night is to get someone else to do the work. Mm. And it's pretty cost effective, and definitely cost effective. And really, they they know their stuff, which I was quite surprised. And how did you get put onto them initially? I've been fortunate enough to become a part of the business blueprint program. I've been a uh, a member now for um, I suppose about nearly eighteen months. I did the um, what they call the fast track. Uh, program and now I'm an elite member and um, just come back from a, a conference last week that was down in, in Sydney and fantastic program it's um, worlds and worlds of information you just uh, got any question about anything in business doesn't matter what it is you just ask these guys and you get the right answer so what's what's the website for that one just um, yeah businessblueprint.com and uh, businessblueprint.com everybody so that's yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's helped uh, uh, Steve quite a lot. Yeah, there's quite a few members in it, and um, the conferences that they have uh, four times a year are just great value. Because on the uh, on the Sunday they have what they call a round table day, so you can sit down with any an expert in any field of business, and they can set you on the got any questions, they'll just set you on the right path. That's so, excellent. Yeah. So. Um, so tell us uh, about some of the other hobbies that you, you've got in your life. Obviously, I know you live, you breathe signs, um, and signs is probably going to be your life. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, yeah, um, until so, I get someone to, so I, to I, buy the you, you did mention You did mention once that uh, sit-down comedy, or not, yeah, sorry, stand-up comedy was something that sort of uh, piqued your interest. Is that something you sort of looked at doing? or what? what yeah, you... yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Tim. I was... Um, Always had a sense of humour. Obviously, places I've been, people I've, I've met is. Um, How would you describe your sense of humour? What's the? Oh, I'd have to say dry. <laughs> dry, sort of <laughs> so, dry, but yeah. very dry, and a touch of uh, sarcasm. So, yeah, if you catch on, you're pretty quick. So, yeah, yeah, that's um, how it happened. So, uh, last year it all started. Early last year, I, my wife uh, Wendy, she. Um, Shouted me a, a cruise, and I'd never been on a cruise before. So and where did you go on a cruise to? Oh, uh, just uh, one of those. Um, I think it was a four or five nighter, just out of Brisbane. Didn't land anywhere. Just did laps out there, and 
round about, but it was a comedy cruise and. Um, so comedians. Yeah, as, as yeah, the, there were a like, lot of. Yeah. I think they had about five professional comedians. Um, the other half of Lemo and Woodley, whatever his name, he was on there. Lemo and Woodley, yeah. Lemo, yeah. So he was there, and then I'd always sort of been interested, and um, I, on the cruise they had a a bit of a training thing. If you think you've got a bit of comedy in you and you'd like to have a go, you can get up. So I did. I had a crack at it. I was a bit nervous, but I was standing in front of about 200 people, I suppose. And um, I just told them a story. And, uh, yeah, so... So which sort of story did you tell? Or just oh, it's all about the travel, I suppose. Um, I started off by asking the audience, is anyone anyone a dog lover because most of the people put their hands up and told them uh, well we're in uh, we're in good company you know because there's not too many other types of um, pet owners that go around and pick up the shit for them so that's why I got a bit of a giggle and most of my travels was with uh, a German shepherd with big ears and his name was Ralph anyway I was in Darwin for a few years uh, doing a bit of sign writing all over the territory and one Christmas I decided to come back to Brisbane for a bit of a holiday and then go down to Melbourne and catch up with the family. <laughs> so I'd organised it all from Darwin, got the dog cage and everything was all sorted out and then I organised friends to take me to the airport. But the last, uh, I suppose the most important thing about this story is that it was the 24th of December. Mm. So that's a pretty busy day and that's when I was flying to... Um, Brisbane to Melbourne so big night the night before pretty hungover and started ringing all my friends get a ride to the airport and they, each one dropped off one by one so then I rang a rang a cab and told them you know send one of your not so better cabs because I'm traveling with a German Shepherd and anyway they turned up then we got to the airport well that's when the fun began we were um went in to find the the place where the dog cage was and they didn't know about it and they said you have to go into the main terminal. So we pulled up at the main terminal, so 24th of December, it's chock-a-block. And then what happened was, <coughs> well, when the fun really started to begin is because I'd left Ralph's lead in the taxi. So Ralph was a free agent amongst mm. hundreds of people in the airport. Anyway, he was pretty well behaved. We were lining up behind everybody else. And I just turned for a split second to have a bit of an optic nerve and Ralph started running down the terminal. Hmm. So that got pretty exciting. People looking, yelling and screaming at the dog and then I'm screaming at the dog and I Ralph, get back here, bastard. Well, there was four guys called Ralph. They all turned around <laughs> and looked at me. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so I ran out. It's not you, the dog. So I'm running after him. And then he'd been in and out of cars, you know, in the last week or so. So he ran past the automatic doors and the doors opened. And Ralph ran outside and he um, got out. And at exactly the same time as the automatic doors to the airport opened, there's four bikes pulled up in a, I think it might have been a transit or a high ace or something. And they slid the the back sliding door, they opened that, they slid that open and then Ralph thought, you beauty, it's another ride. 
So Ralph, being a German Shepherd, jumped into this high ace or whatever it was with four blokes, and I'm about 15, 20 seconds behind him. And I get up to the high ace, and these guys are starting to punch on, smack <laughs> each other around. And um, anyway, what had happened is that Ralph, being a German Shepherd, these guys all had dope on them. <laughs> and they thought that they'd been, one of them had dobbed them in, and they'd all been busted. <laughs> so, so then, yeah, so then I turned up and they said, is this your dog? And I said, yeah, it is. Sorry about that. So anyway, they all shaking hands and, well, some of them did. A couple kept punching on. And then we got, I got Ralph back, found his cage. And by all this time, I hadn't checked in and so it's getting late and... I don't know, Tim, whether you've been on a plane and they close the door and then they've got to open it to let some passenger on. Mm. Well, that's me. <laughs> and not only that, but I was sitting, sitting down the back. So yeah. I got all the stairs from hell. Anyway, they were still loading the plane and I looked out the window and I saw them. I couldn't see Ralph getting on the plane. I thought, oh, here we go. Because I just threw the boarding pass or cage pass to the guy behind the counter and said, this belongs with the German Shepherd. Anyway, got down to Melbourne and I uh, thought, oh, I wonder where he's gone. But yeah, lucky enough, there was a set of years hanging out of the cage and <laughs> it was all good. Yeah, so that was my first uh, first run at comedy and that got a few giggles. And then, <laughs> so now I'm, um, yeah, heading over to the uh, Paddo Tavern to do the uh, five minute stand up. And then if I'm good enough, I'll be able to get uh, coaching and go on from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, um, I mean, I always find stand-up comedy enjoyable. I mean, I, I don't get to, I don't get to go to places like um, the Paddo enough to to yeah. see what to see what's actually yeah. going on. But yeah, one of um, the one of the comedians told told me that too. He said, "You think that the comedians are funny and you're enjoying yourself, but there's being a comedian yourself is very very exciting." gets you the real adrenaline because you just um, mm. you know some comedians go out with a script and they rattle it off but I'm not like that I've you know had years years and years and years of you know stories to tell you know not only from Ralph but I one day I jumped the fence at the, in Cairo and climbed to the top of the shoe opposite the big pyramid and got in a bit of trouble for Egypt, that Egypt yeah yeah so then all the way to me sign writing days like a couple of years ago, I repainted the big pineapple. There's a few stories behind that too. So yeah, got. Yeah, I was um, actually drove past that a couple of times uh, earlier today. Um, the big pineapple. I went up to uh, Wumbai or near Nambour. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, yeah, you would to, have seen uh, that. It's probably faded a bit since I did it. But definitely, but um, I mean that's what weather does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, no, I really like the um, the stand-up comedy. I mean. And, and I think that's a quite a good venue, the uh, Paddo Tavern. Um, I, th I think I've made a contact with a few people um, over the years that are sort of that do a bit of comedy there. So um, um, I'm just trying—I can't think of any names off the top of my head, but there's a few there that are that are Facebook friends and whatever. I remember a guy called Joel Bryant. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, He's yeah, a, he knows Joel so, Bryant. So Joel Bryant um, is one of the most uh, effective comics that I've seen in the local area yeah. sorry uh, he's um, a very funny man big tall guy and uh, I remember 
only about a month or so after sort of uh, ran into him, and we actually, I was actually at the Albion. There's a place at Albion that does the stand-up comedy. Oh yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so went over to the Albion Hotel afterwards. Was talking to Joel there, and um, and then oh whatever you know you, you become Facebook friends. And anyway, then about a month later. Matt Bunnings doing a sausage sizzle, helping yeah. out helping out Apex. Yeah. And up comes Joel. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so as long as you put the onions on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. And there's another guy, Andy Thompson, that's his name. Um, do you know Andy Thompson? Heard of him? I have heard of him, yeah. He's sort of a bald headed guy. Yeah. He's, got, he's got an act coming out at the moment, I saw it's been advertised, I think, uh, in and around Brisbane. Um, sort of resembles himself. Um, over the over the Bruce Willis character in Die Hard, but he's yeah. calling it Lie Hard. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So that's yeah, Andy Thompson. Yeah, there's some funny people out there. Another guy from Crib Point where I uh, grew up. This guy called Chris Franklin. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's uh, he's been doing it a long time now. He makes a you know, well, it's, it's what he does for a living, you know. So he's just put out another another album. So a couple of mates caught up with him last week when I was down there and gave him a bit of the goss. Yeah. So. No, it's good fun, and that's what it's all about. It's just got to be, you know, being in business for as many years as I have. Plenty of dramas <laughs> over here, so, yeah, nothing like telling a few jokes to get your mind off it and just, yeah, bring you back to earth. Yeah, an American guy called Joe Schaefer, that was the other guy I remember. Yeah. He's, um, yeah, funny sort of guy. But, yeah, I mean, I really like that, um, all that, that whole comedy thing. What do you like... Uh, What's your sort of preference for movies? Do you do you prefer like action movies, or do you like a comedy, or romantic comedy, or a thriller? Um, thriller? Um, what what sort of movies? Top you? of the list is um, I'm a bit of a Bond fan. So, so you love the James Bond yeah, series? That's, yeah, anything similar to that's pretty good. And of course, yeah, the, the <coughs> watching the um, watching the the, uh, the comic, comics and even the you know the now on Netflix you can watch them all on uh, doing their stand up and that sort of thing and yeah a bit of an action guy I suppose and my other passion is uh, all about cars you know I've been been involved with uh, old American cars for oh, I don't know I guess one, one of those classic movies uh, Nicolas Cage Gone in 60 Seconds yeah that's it yeah and um, uh, there's uh Another one is, I think you can get it on Netflix, called Rock and Roll Detective. <clears throat> and um, he uh, gets around in a same similar car to what I had. It's a uh, 59 Skyliner. I had a 59 Ranchero. It's a big American tank, basically, because they're called a tank Fairlane. Mm. Yeah, so that's, um, yeah, a bit, uh, bit of fun. So that's what I'm into, yeah. So, yeah. The other thing, too, that I'll been um, getting into it lately Tim is I've, I've written a couple of songs oh, so you, I was going to yeah. talk about music actually I was yeah. on my list. what sort of music is your type of music uh, I think uh, well, right now on the way over I was listening to a bit of blues a bit of Lightning Hopkins and uh, gee, there's so many on the album I can't think of them all now but there's um, yeah blues even, even a bit of rock a bit of Jerry Lee Lewis, that sort of stuff, you know, nothing wrong. Have you sort of played in bands in at all? I guess you you would have, or no, not really. Uh, I had a go at getting on the harmonica, but yeah, no, I just uh, thought I'd give up before I'm making a fool of myself. So. <laughs> but you've written songs. Tell me what you've done with those written songs, then. Well, I just 
talking to a mate of mine who's um, who's going to uh, put it to music uh, probably next week. So the songs, uh, the, the one that I wrote it um, at the Gimpy Muster about two years ago, I ended up going up there by myself and sitting out the front and having a few roms and that and watching it. I thought, oh, I might write a song. So it's a true story. That's a Gimpy Muster, wow. Yeah, so, um, yeah, true story. I've, for some stupid reason, I decided to hitchhike across the USA. And, um, Is that what you actually did? Yeah, I actually did, yeah. and um, In your adolescent days? or Yeah, uh, uh, when was that? That would have been 91 or 92, yeah. I think it was. Yep, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah, I was stupid. Yeah, no doubt about that. Anyway, I how it sort of all come to fruition is that I'd um, met a pommy bloke in Florida, and, he, and we lived in an old, in an unregistered old Econo van for about six weeks. And I told him that I wanted to hitchhike, you know, across the states, and because it's all to do with that bloody Otis Redding, you know, it's all his fault. And um, so, anyway, what happened was I got a went with him to New Orleans, had a great time in New Orleans, stayed there about a week, 10 days, got a cheap flight to Houston for about 10 bucks, I couldn't believe it. And I met some people I was drinking with the night before on the plane and they said, well, stay with us in Houston for a while, so I did that. And then I, um, when I was working in London, I paid myself a little sign saying, g'day, go to LA. <laughs> and um, on the back of it, it had the, uh, the middle finger raised, so people looking in their mirror knew that I wasn't impressed, they didn't stop. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, so I found myself in getting a ride out of Houston. And then I got a ride with a guy who he just picked me up. and. So this uh, is all in the song? or? Yeah, all in the song, yeah. And I, I um, the title of the song is called What Am I Doing Here? Which is pretty <laughs> relevant because I ended up the following night out of San Antonio. I found myself sleeping on the side of the road trying to get a ride to... Uh, wherever it was, El Paso or somewhere, I can't remember now, but I couldn't get a ride and until a few days later I ended up getting a share, doing one of those drive-yourself vehicles, sharing one of those, and about 50 miles from where I was camped on the side of the road after asking everyone in restaurants for a lift and, you know, out there, standing out there freezing my ass off, there's great big signs that say, do not pick up hitchhikers, state penitentiary area. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so that's how it all come in the song. So we're putting that to music next week or the week after. And, um, yeah, so I'm on a bit of a mission. To hopefully this year I'll be able to write an album, write the lyrics for an album, and then go from there. Yeah, we did have um, two girls that were on the podcast uh, a few months back now. Um, they've got a music school out at... Um, at uh, the Grange. Oh, okay, yeah, right. Um, yeah. And uh, one of the one of those young ladies, they're in their sort of half twenties, I guess, twenty five. Yeah. Um, they obviously have one of the things they do is have songwriting. They have like songwriting school and yeah, stuff like right. that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and they have there's ways that they come up with songs and stuff like that. It's, it's quite 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 uh, a good process. Listen to that one if you. Listen to that podcast if you want. That's yeah, actually, well, because it's not easy to write a song. Um, but those two are really um, very musically minded. They're, they're fun to talk to. It's probably the only I think it's the only podcast I've done with 
with the three people. Um, oh, okay. Oh, sorry, with yeah. two yeah. people, two guests, yeah, two uh, guests together. Yeah. And they obviously work together in business, clients, um, very nice ladies, but they, you know, and they obviously teach people music, so all the different, you know, guitar, piano, yeah. singing, uh, writing songs. So, yeah, listen to that podcast. That's a, that was one of the fun ones. Uh, we talk about different music genres and stuff like that and, you know, how they sort of uh, got into what they're doing. So but that's quite interesting. Um, I mean, music, I like the alternate sort of music. Um, some of the listeners will probably know that already. Yeah. Um, I've been waiting for this... Hilltop Hoods album to come out for a long time, and it came out today. So, oh, okay, all right. Hip hop, bit of hip hop rap. Yeah, um, yeah, Australian, okay, yeah, you know, yeah. Do you know Hilltop? Yeah, I Hoods? do. Yeah, they're right. Yeah. yeah so, the album, a few rappers I don't mind. Yeah, so clever, that's yeah. out today. That's uh, yeah. one of the albums. I think it's already number one on iTunes. Right, um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so um, I think we just, just about wind it up. Um, have you had, you sort of had enough beer there, have you, Steve? Yeah, it's going down pretty good, thanks, Tim. Yeah, yeah, no, it's. Uh, yeah, so what do you get up to on weekends these days? You finish the week. What do you get up to? What's what's? Uh, well, tomorrow because uh, we've um, I've been away. Oh, I suppose ten days, whatever it was last week. So I've got a green pool. I've got to sort out. So. Where'd you go last week? Uh, yeah, flew down to Sydney and yep. then. Um, Job. Yeah, no, I did the the, the blueprint conference. Yep. Yep. And then I flew from Sydney. So to, how long did the conference go for? The. Uh, I only did the. The uh, Friday and the yep. Saturday. Two days, yeah. This yep. time. Mm-hmm. It normally goes for four days. Yep. And then I, uh, I flew into Melbourne about um, 9.30 on Saturday night. And then uh, on the Sunday there was a Cook's reunion that I hadn't been to for 10 years. Over, Family reunion? Yeah, yep. on the Bellarine Peninsula. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, yeah, so that was pretty good. And then, um, yeah, just helping out and catching up with my old mates down there one of them's not too good he's um, been hit with the dreaded Spanish dancer so hopefully uh, he'll get through it with a few more heavy hits of chemo I rang him Sunday to see how he's going I just asked him whether he's glowing in the dark yet or not mm. <laughs> so, fair enough he's had a fair bit of it yeah but anyway hopefully he'll get through and good days yeah so anyway no it's been a pleasure Tim it's all about um yeah, having the fun and yeah, thanks for the opportunity to give the listeners a bit of a rundown on <coughs> who I am and how Science Australia began and where we're going to and yeah, moving forward. Just get you a bit of a photo before we sort of uh, finish yeah, up there. But the, be in a with photo the beer. without a beer in the end. <laughs> Zoom in a little bit more there. There How's we that? go. There Perfect. So I'll get that up shortly, but uh, thank you very much, Steve. Uh, it's been good. Hope you have a great uh, weekend. We'll catch up soon. I think I'm bloody, I'm up next uh, when it comes to doing presentations at Bots. I've got to, um, I decide I'm going to talk about trust, which we, you know, uh, a lot of people just don't know too much about yeah, trust. Yeah, that's and it's, right. Yeah. It's going to be educational. Um, yeah. So a bit of a spin on that. I'll, I'll try to dumb it down as much as we can to, so that people can sort of, I guess, appreciate what, what uh, trusts are. But yeah. Um, in a week's time so uh, we'll see how that goes Uh, have a good weekend all that's been episode 28 I believe of the uh, From the Valley podcast thank you very much all